to come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George, try and straight line it, get to the line and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton, oh, oh, oh. and goes straight on. This is quite appalling, this is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Unqualified, a racing podcast by two gentlemen with absolutely no business being in this business. I am joined, as always, by my highly esteemed co-host, Mr. Gerald Carter, and I gotta uh, lead off, Gerald, by addressing the elephant in the room, which is, it's been about a month and five days since we last recorded, and there were a lot of people out there, and by a lot of people, I mean probably no one, but in my mind, a lot of people speculating that we would never return. You know, the guys are washed. They've realized they only have 100 listeners an episode. They're not monetized. This is a waste of each of their personal time. They've got love interests, marriage, other pursuits. They're not going to keep this up. Well, I got news for you, buddy. We're back, baby. And we got no plans to go anywhere. And we have a spicy one from Zanvort to talk about tonight and a lot to unpack. What say you, buddy? How you doing this evening? I am great. I am impressed by how smoothly you usurped my show notes and a little bit more of a pointed admission of why we were absent uh, post-spa. So well done to you. Um, But I guess like the rain clouds over Zandvoort, life intervenes unexpectedly and we need to... Um, and we need to be flexible, and that's what we were, but we are back, so rest assured, the weight that we were putting on ourselves that absolutely no one else was, and our and our need to come back to our listeners, here we are, and it couldn't have happened after a better race. It's been well documented here at Unqualified that one of our core values is a little word called accountability, and so I'm prepared to accept full accountability for the flakiness of requesting five reschedules for the recording of our summer episode, summer break episode. And then in the night that it was most likely to be successfully recorded, eating an edible and being unable to function and successfully, (laughs) successfully (laughs) record. Look, it's not that I, I'm honestly surprised you did not screenshot our text message conversation that night and put it on Twitter as a, as a, as a means of payback because it would be justified, uh, but here we are. Well, you know, I'm far too secretive of an individual to uh, to do that to somebody else, but I appreciate the candor, and I just thought it was hilarious getting the text of like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't think I could do this, man. <laughs> just like, I'm freaking out. <laughs> Never trust people named John Eskridge. Uh, that's that's my general advice. Yeah, Noted. I will uh, I will keep that in mind in case I run across run across one. Well, although there was much retribution to be had from the spa weekend, particularly on the perfor- relative performance of Sonoda and Ricardo, which I was much looking forward to. And despite all of the excuses, I think that was really the underlying reason you didn't want to face the music. So you had to come up with these sort of fantasyful stories about why we couldn't return. Uh, return. But interesting wrinkle added to that storyline. So we are jumping right ahead to Zanvoort. And look, it was a wild weekend. Crazy weather across the board. The trend of rainy races and rainy weekends continues. 
not sure on the stats, but this has to be on the higher end of weekends where we've had rain. And just to refer back to Spa, I think the biggest teams are were Williams losing out, right? And a lot of places where they should have performed really, really well, struck with rain and their performance weakened. But that was not the case this weekend for Williams, as we will get to, as I represent the Williams team with my, my team shirt on. I am fully on the bandwagon. But let's first touch on the winner of the race in dominant performance, Max Verstappen taken home first once again um, and tying Vettel for the record, tying nine uh, wins consecutively. As we look ahead, I mean, is there any chance that he doesn't like not only just break the record, but blow it out of the water? Like what what's the ceiling at this point in in number of consecutives? Right. I mean, it doesn't seem like it could be broken. Yeah, I, I, you know, as Michael Jordan once said, the ceiling is the roof at this point. So I, I'm not going to bet against him any weekend. I think eventually the law of large numbers will will bear out and something will happen. Like somebody will catch his tire or he will spin out or he will DNF. Uh, but I'm not betting against him at any single point for the rest of the season. And I think there's probably very few people out there left that would. So, um yeah, I mean it's just. I, I will say I um I don't know if you caught the post race press conference where Alonzo kind of went out of his way to like basically say like I think people are underappreciating how we're getting too used to basically Max's relative performance and that people aren't appreciating how hard it continues to be. And I do think that this weekend in particular was probably amongst the most difficult ones that he's pulled through this year and he still kind of made it look easy to be honest which is pretty wild um and they didn't even get their strategy that right you know like they could have pitted him earlier at the beginning and he still came through the field like a effing knife through butter it's just like it's getting a bit ridiculous honestly well and just yeah the strategy wasn't perfect for him but the execution is absolutely flawless i mean you see multiple drivers up and down the grid little mistakes to big mistakes and just seems like nothing on on his side. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see just how many sort of records fall and and certainly consecutive wins being one of them. The other big piece of news came even before the race weekend started, while we had a friendly wager ourselves on the relative performance of Sonoda and Ricardo. I'm not sure how we have to uh, how we can revise the terms of our of our deal now that Ricardo crashing early in the weekend, trying to avoid his fellow Australian, Oscar Piastri, who I believe spun at turn three, right? Hit the wall. Ricardo, in an attempt to avoid, sends his own car into the wall, forcing him to hold the wheel longer than he should have and breaking a bone in his wrist. Therefore, having surgery, sitting out the rest of the weekend. And I think at this point, still uncertain as to when he will be recovering. I guess, what was your reaction to seeing the crash and and what do you think this means in terms of, you know, his, what was a amazing opportunity to bring himself back into F1 sort of over before it had even started? Do you think he gets another chance this season if healthy? Well, first off, let me say I'm not worried because he's seen the same doctor that injected, you know, some horse steroid into Lance Stroll's wrists. And got him back within two weeks. So 
uh, you know, he may be back for Monza. Who the hell knows? Uh, but all seriousness aside, uh, or all joking aside, I, I'm i not actually worried. So first off, let me just say this. Our bet was on the relative qualifying performance of Ricardo versus Sonoda, which says nothing about how large the denominator is for total races. So I don't worry about that bet in particular because I think he's still going to be back and have enough races to – eventually overtake Sonoda. Doesn't Sonoda out-qualify Ricardo by default of non-participation? When he's not there for the weekend? The best ability is availability. That, that is... Okay, so how are you going to kick him? First off, how are you going to kick a man when he's down when the crash that generated the injury wasn't even his fault to begin with? So if you... Look, if you want to... if you, we, So I'll say, we didn't define the, the, the details, the detailed terms of our bet or the terms of termination. So if you want to try and live in this world of gray area and claim that somehow Sonoda beating Lawson in qualifying is a point for him in this bet, then you go on ahead. But I'm happy to litigate that in the court of public opinion. And I think I'm going to come out ahead of you 10 times out of 10 because that's ridiculous. Oh, so do you think do you think Lawson is now his proxy? And no, because he did, I think he did you're well. Arguing, he- you're arguing that Lawson should be Ricardo's proxy and give a point to Sonoda. And I'm saying that basically let's put the bet on pause until Ricardo returns, which most likely will be Japan, which gives him, what, eight more, seven more races to put Sonoda in his place? I'm not really worried. And nor do I view this as a door closed for Ricardo. I think it's just a bump at the road. I do find it rich that... Or I, I don't know how to take the feedback. First, I'm going too deep into contract terms when we're trying to solidify some album art. Now I'm not going deep enough into contract terms. What do you okay. want from to me, be, man? To be clear, you accused our <laughs> album art. <laughs> you accused our album artist of basically being like a deep web anti-government conspirator, which I think was you just projecting your own beliefs onto him. So I just wanted I, contingencies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, contingencies if he literally like turn. <laughs> Never mind. We, we don't need to go there. <laughs> Let's not relitigate. Um, That's not so relevant. you. So you do think that? <laughs> do you think there's any any situation in which, assuming Ricardo is healthy, he gets back in the car ahead of ahead of Lawson? Sorry, can you re- can you restate yeah. that question? So if Ricardo's healthy by the end of the season you think no matter what he's getting back in that car do you see this as a as an opportunity where Lawson might finish the season dude Lawson would have to literally like win a race or do something absurd like to me the only thing that could change that calculus is if he started blowing Sonoda's doors off got a podium or did something insane I think there's almost a completely zero chance of that happening I, I think if if Red Bull was that high on him from a driver development standpoint he would already have the seat and Look, it's not like Formula Three Thousands where guys go to die, but like, you know, it, it is it is not the step from F two that guys want the most. So I, it's not that I don't think he has potential as an F one driver, but I just don't think Red Bull thinks he's ready. And I, really, like, what are the chances they learn something about loss in the next three races that change their hypothesis that Ricardo is worth a second shot? Like, I just I think that's highly unlikely. I, I mean, Super Formula has been the, I mean, was the stepping stone Sorry, for the Super likes Formula, of, not, was yeah, the not likes Formula of yeah. the stepping stone for Gasly as well. Right. And so it was, I mean, yeah. opportunity, right. The door is open. And if the man walks through it successfully, which I think we can agree based on this weekend, he did about everything he possibly could with the time afforded to him 
in advance of a race um, with the position that he finished in, the the relative cleanliness of the race. I mean, where would you grade Lawson for his performance given given the notice that he had? Um, I would, I mean, I would give him an A plus, uh, because the job was just to keep the car on the track, <laughs> you know, like the dude rolled up cold Turkey, probably didn't know how the buttons even worked and had no practice. You know, he barely probably got his, I think they had already done his seat fitting before, you know, all yeah, this happened. So he had, he had a, yeah, he had a seat. So like, it's not like he didn't fit in the car, but I mean, Jesus, that's about all he had <laughs> was a seat that fit. Yeah, he hadn't driven else. the car this year. Yeah, he literally hadn't driven the car this year, and he rolled up and was asked to basically keep it on track on a narrow track with basically three different rain showers amidst, like, it's crazy. Like, yeah, the complexity of trying to manage that and know when you're supposed to pit and... Uh, yeah, and then even know like how to use the pit limiter and like hit the hit hit your marks on the at the in the pit lane box like effectively and manage. Well, what a weird know, track to like start on, right? Not God. your your traditional like historic yeah. circuit bank turns. I mean, it's about as wonky as a course as you could expect. Have a race on as your first one versus other than like a street track, maybe. So, yeah, he he definitely had the the kitchen sink thrown at him this weekend and and showed up for a team that really hasn't finished at all in the points this season to be knocking at the door at least is about as high of expectations as you could have for him right now he he advanced through the field because of dnfs basically he didn't actually net gain a position on track i mean i guess he did beat magnuson right um which okay great but so yes great job kept it on the track Far better than I would have expected. Uh, I fully expected to see him in the wall or into another car within the first five laps when drops started coming down on the grid. But um, uh, I again, I I don't I don't take his performance and then translate that into man, he really looks like he's going to steal that seat. I just he's going to have to do something substantially better in the next two races to do that. Well, that's not totally fair, right? He started last. And there was three DNFs and he finished 13. So, I mean, he did move past Botas, uh, Sonoda, Magnuson, Russell. Yeah. I guess you could say them. Russell, I mean, kind of doesn't, doesn't count either. So there was a couple in there, yeah, but it was Russell, such a weird wait, race in terms of there was, you know, strategy decisions and other contacts. And so it was kind of a weird, a weird one all around. Um, but I mean, they they seem to take the more traditional strategy with him rather than the go long strategy that they took with Sonoda, which I just think would have been a, a totally unfair for the poor man on his first race to um to come into that. And so I mean he got the benefit of that, but but still, I mean he he delivered accordingly. Uh yeah. How many drivers did he beat on merit in the race? Because where did he finish? I'm trying to find the I mean 13th, so what, four, right? Well, but three of them were DNFs. George Russell was practically a DNF because he, he slid because of a puncture in the last stint. Yeah, so it was Botas, Sonoda, Magnuson, technically whoa, Russell. Whoa, 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 whoa. He, he didn't beat Sonoda. Lawson beat Sonoda? Was Sonoda not 15th? Maybe the, maybe the pit window, that last rain-induced pit window jumbled the car order in a, there's a way yeah, I don't remember down the grid. Yeah, that's where it kind of all got so wonky on, on strategy. So, uh, all right. So, I mean, he, he did as good as you can, but again, I think you got to chalk a lot of that up to 
uh, a lot of that up to strategy. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Well, and speaking to that, so you wouldn't make too much of, I guess, the fact that he finished ahead of Sonoda, right? Because I, I mean, from my perspective, that man got hard done by by strategy. They they made the right call going to Inters early. And then I just don't understand, I guess, why they left him out so long. Did they really feel like because they other teams pitted first that were behind him, like they already lost the chance at kind of maintaining position and they didn't see pace through the race? Like it just seemed like they totally banked on weather and were so highly convicted that some other storm front was going to come in that they kind of just threw away the positions and didn't even give Sonoda a chance to fight for points. And he just slid back the order. But I mean, did you, did you see anything different from that team or was he just kind of unlucky with, with strategy this weekend? They were hardly the only team to make a bad strategy call uh, in light of weather. (laughs) So it's kind of hard to be overly punitive just towards them on that basis. So yeah. Yeah. This one felt a little bit like stop trying to invent, too much, right? Uh, several teams uh, yeah. seem to do too much when it was just like, make the easy call. Dude. They did that with Lawson and it paid dividends. So I could not believe how many teams left drivers out on that first, when that first range hour came in, hoping that they could just keep them on softs. I can't believe Albon stayed out the whole time. I know. Like he never actually, came in. He kind of recovered it, but like still he lost a lot of positions on track. Yeah. Like, I mean, it made zero sense. I get the rationale up front, but they should have been able to quickly realize, like, after the rain really came down. I mean, McLaren was late bringing Norris into the pits, but at least they brought him in, like, eventually, I think by lap three. So that one was hard. That was a head-scratcher. It's hard to be critical when stuff's happening that fast, but, man, like, Jesus, when the – when the home straight is literally soaked, it's like, eh. <laughs> like well, it's kind of interesting too. Cause you could see the system like the entire time. So clearly there was differing views of how intense it was going to be. But I mean, you're watching that storm cloud roll in off the coast. And I mean, it seemed pretty, pretty dense um, as you were watching it. So yeah, I mean, the fact that Albon stayed out there is crazy. I mean, it certainly was not the best decision, but you have to say, Overall, for Williams this weekend, pretty stellar team performance. I mean, through qualifying up until Q3, I mean, both teams were in Q3. Unfortunately, Sargent spun it at the start of a lap in Q3 and then, you know, crashed in the race. But Albon, pretty consistent with a top five qualifying performance, finished in the points, was forced to stay out on slicks. I mean, 10 out of 10 for him. And I guess curious where you one is Albon like the hottest property on the grid right now. And in terms of drivers, not already on a top team and where do you stack up Sargent in terms of him showing some flashes, but then sort of squandering the best of his opportunities. If you consider McLaren a top team, then yes, Albon is the hottest property on the grid. Um, if you don't consider McLaren a top team, I'm just, I think I'd still take Lando. Uh, but Yes, uh, Albon's stock is rising, no doubt. Uh, Williams, I, I'm this guy. I'm, his name literally is. I'm thinking um, the guy from Mercedes who's a team principal now, James. Yes, uh, he's low key, kind of sneakily becoming one of my favorite team principals on the grid. Just you listen to his interviews; he just seems like he's got great leadership characteristics. He's very candid and straightforward, and just seems to have a very clear eyed kind of view on how to do driver management. 
Um, and yeah, dude, they're making progress. It's hard to deny it. I, I do think it's it's up for debate, though, whether Sargent's stock in particular rose or fell as a result of this weekend performance. Um, I, I am prepared to make an argument against um, rather than for, but I'm curious what your thoughts are there. I mean, yes, the, the growth of Williams, I, I mean, talked about some, but they are, I think for this weekend in particular, that it was impressive because this was not a track that you would expect Williams to be strong at. So I don't know if the Cambridge turns really enabled that much performance improvement in the corners. I think that might have had something to do with it, but then to have that exacerbated by the rain as well, it definitely seems like the car is moving in the right direction in terms of working on multiple kinds of tracks and not just having this be a, a Monza car. Right. And, and so I think they have to be really happy about, about that overall. Albon, yes, top tier. It'll be interesting if he wants to stick around to continue to help develop that team or, or kind of cash in and, and make a move. The biggest question for that is to where, right? And there's still kind of a lot of uncertainty around other teams, particularly Ferrari. And, and then what does Red Bull do long-term? They say Perez is safe through his contract after next year. I'm not sure that that's entirely true, so we'll see. But in terms of Sargent, I mean, I think I think as a rookie, a lot of times what I would still want to see is flashes of pace, right? Flashes of brilliance. And I think he's shown that, and I think you have to like that. But then still first and foremost is finishing the race. And so it is a bit of a weird a weird dichotomy. And, and I guess given the performance of Albon too, you'd have to think part of that improvement might reside just in the car performance. And so is then Sergeant just the crash, the crasher. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see over a couple of the races and it would be nice to just have a, a non rain race to like, let him get his bearings. But I think he has to, I think he has to deliver something special in Monza to, to change the narrative a bit and maybe get back on the side of, of positive because I still think he's out about a 500. He, he's kind of a toss up to me. Can, can you can you tell me what parts of the season to this point you would characterize Logan Sargent as having a flash of brilliance? Because that's not. I, mean, that I think clear it was this one. I think he had another like reasonable like right qualifying performance that he ended up crashing in the race as well. Right, like I think he made it pretty deep into Q Q two. Right, like qualified 11th or something, and then ended up crashing that same race. So like his best opportunities to capitalize on his qualifying in the race he's he's thrown away and so i think he's at least shown some qualifying brilliance i don't think you've seen anything in in race that's made you think that that's materializing but i think it's better than what you see a lot of drivers do where like joe i wonder where where is he right he hasn't done anything where's that team team team? overall but i mean Uh, he hasn't had that moment either where where he's really had a flash and so the only moment he had was when he flashed and shit his pants on the grid (laughs) yes true true so which arguably is is less forgivable than than what sergeant's done but i guess he hasn't cost the team money at that point either so again i think there's been a couple of flashes i think it's probably my own hope that that continues with more consistency but but yeah, I mean, to me, he's he's still at a toss up, and 
unfortunately you can't cost the team that much as a, as a rookie. And especially when you have somebody like Lawson step in and in the same weekend, bring the car home close to the points. So comparison isn't great for, for Sargent. Yeah. I, I personally don't think he's had kind of that wow moment. Um, the only one I can really point to is the Jetta qualifying where he ended up, you know, losing the lap time. Cause he it's cheeky, but he put a tire over the pit pit lane line, which is like not really influential on his lap time, but it's still against the but rules. I feel like there's been a few I, of those where you're like, Oh, well, like it's almost, it's almost there. And then it's it, at this in the, always in the same moment, there's like the opposite. And but it, but it, do, it doesn't feel like he's getting closer. I guess is my point. And I think that the lift in relative performance is just because the car is getting better. And like, you know, he he's as far behind Albon on relative qualifying performance as Perez is to Verstappen. And I don't call Perez's qualifying performance moments of brilliance, right? Like he's just saving it because he's a more experienced driver and he's willing to be he can be consistent in the race and let the car performance kind of play out and then get towards the podium. But like Sargent obviously doesn't have that luxury and he's relatively speaking, just as far, if not farther behind his teammate. And his teammate isn't Max Verstappen. So it's like well, and I guess when I say Frass is a brilliance, that's like, is he sufficient to get another year, right? Like, I'm not saying he's going to be the next world champion. Well, it's, is he showing enough yeah. that he has pace, he can put the qual, you know, he can put a good qualifying performance on the right day. And if, if the t- car is there, he can get it in the points. Again, a bit of a toss up because he's showing the qualifying brilliance, but not the, not the race. Whereas I think a lot of the criticisms you see of like Perez is like, yeah, he's fine in a race, but the dude cannot match qualifying and so he's got half of the picture but still you gotta see the checkered flag i think your use of the word brilliance is borderline criminal uh but i i do think you're asking the right question which is like is he doing enough to get the seat next year and to me if the answer becomes yes it's because of the lack of alternatives for williams more than it is about his relative performance right now and and that's fine it's a fine answer because sometimes formula one seats are about the luck of the draw and the presence or lack of presence of alternative uh, drivers. Um, and I, right now, I don't see a great one for Williams. So he might be okay. Um, but he certainly needs to close the gap if he wants to improve his you know, chances. And he very well could. I'm not ruling him out. I'm just saying I don't think he's really improving as of now. So well, he definitely has the largest discrepancy to his teammate at the moment with a close second of Perez and Verstappen and then... Alonzo wait, what about, and, and Alonzo oh, and Stroll. I was gonna say I thought Stroll was at the top of that mountain. He's on. He's got a statue on the Rushmore. I thought he was at the top of the mountain. I <laughs> mean, I I think Stroll's at least outqualified Alonzo once, right? Once or twice, where at zero for for Sergeant. So I mean, he is true like hundred to zero in in that count. Um, but I think Stroll's. Lack of performance just is more stark when you total up the points. I mean, just to pick on them, once again, Alonzo on the podium, Stroll nowhere to be seen. I mean, at this point, with Gasly's podium, he's quickly closing on Stroll. And just for relative like car performance, Alonzo has been on the podium as nearly as many times as Gasly's finished in the points. And Gasly's catching Stroll. I mean... Alonzo's finished in the points every single race this season. Stroll has not. And so it's it's just getting crazier and crazier. And unfortunately, it just seems like between Mercedes and Ferrari, they're, ju- they're making just enough mistakes 
for Aston to hold on to second place and give give them an excuse to keep to keep stroll. I mean, if Mercedes could stitch together the clean weekends, if Ferrari could have both drivers freaking finish, Aston sliding to fourth, but it just does not seem like either of those teams is putting together the right weekend. So, you know, Stroll might be Stroll might be sick, sticking around. I mean, Aston's third right now. They're still, they're still yeah. sliding. Yeah, they're still sliding. I, I they're what, but Alonso's keeping them ahead, right? Alonso beat signs this race. Well, yeah, I mean they they didn't lose ground to Ferrari this weekend, but they they nor did they lose ground to Mercedes. But I yeah, I, I mean has Fer- Mercedes has of- fortunately run away enough. But I mean Ferrari's fourteen points back now. I mean that's one race where both Ferrari drivers finish in the points versus Alonso. So it's only a matter of time at this point. But I guess the real when I said Mercedes, I'm hoping McLaren can keep stitching together good performances and make a run at Aston because they're what 104 points off. Well, that's the question I have. So let's assume McLaren, they're about 100 points back, right, of, of, of Aston. Let's assume they, be, they overtake him and put Aston to fifth in the, in the constructor's standings. And in that equation, it is painfully obvious that Stroll is the only reason that that has occurred. How could they keep him? How? How, how could they keep him when the mathematical, very quantifiable difference he has made is between second and fifth? In the dry in the constructor standings, because that is a very real possibility. How could they keep him? I mean, that would have to be like the craziest situation, like in the sport, right? Of keeping a driver that where it's like a true meritocracy, and it is plain for everybody to see he is not up to the task. And you keep it would around. have to be if you ran the numbers. It would have to be the single largest destruction of team value by one driver in F one history. It would have to be. Well, and then if, if you, you add up the fact of his that what is probably a disproportionately high salary relative to other drivers of his caliber, you add that and the lost prize money. Yeah, I mean that's huge because he's what at least ten million dollars a year of, from what many suspect. Yeah, I, I mean, we know the answer. We know how he stays. Yeah, it's obvious. But I mean, but the stones for Lawrence to just keep look sticking at by. Yeah, yeah, and then just be like, yeah, I'm gonna keep doing this because he's my son. Like, jeez, dude, at some point the chickens have got to come home. Like, well, especially because they could have had. I don't know the statistics of like the most a team has ever jumped in a given season, but. From last year to this year, if they had been in second, like that would have been a historic improvement. And now they went what? They started to finish last year seventh, seventh to fifth. Eh, okay, pretty good. Back to a a decent a decent turnaround, but in a far cry from a, what the narrative could have been. In a year where we're still starved for silly season drama, I don't want what we're talking about to happen for Alonzo's sake, but for the broader sports sake and for Aston Martin's sake, I hope they get overtaken by Haas. I I I would love to see Lance Stroll drug well, Alpine's out. Alpine's next in line, right? I mean, so, you know, now yeah. that now that Alpine's cleared house and something must have changed, right? I mean, clearly the previous leadership, you know, was inept because now they're on the podium, right? I mean, geez. So if they if they had any kind of return to form, 
you know, who knows? Every, but every every blind French mouse finds Gruyere from time to time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, and look, at the end of the day, it's Alonzo's consistency that's at least going to maintain points gathering to keep at least the likes of Alpine at bay. But you know, McLaren is a very real possibility with what 11, 11 races to go, ten now. So they got to make up, they got to make 10 points a race. So that's, that is a tall order for, for McLaren in particular, but not outside the realm of possibility, especially what happens in that weekend where, where Alonzo DNS for some reason, if there is a mechanical failure and strolls nowhere to be seen, boom, that's 20 points, points out of there. McLaren's lack of points earning this, this weekend was not a statement as much on their relative car performance, but just they got the strategy wrong kind of series of unfortunate events, but I, I don't take it as an indictment on their car performance. And so I, I think for the rest of the year, yeah, d- yeah, 10 points a race is, is a lot, but I, you know, with a guy like Piastri as strong as he is in the second seat, I, I can see it happening, you know, because you don't need to do that every weekend. You just need to have a couple weekends where you get the chunk points. And, you know, they did that at Spa. So why couldn't they do it again? So, I mean, at this point, is, is Ferrari passing them like a foregone conclusion? Like, is McLaren, Dude. or is, is Aston's best finish like fourth place at this point? Well, it's it's. Or how big it's of like a fuck a, up would that be? You never want to make that. Are you going to bet on Ferrari in in a race in a race of fuckery between the Ferrari team and Lance Stroll? It's impossible for me to choose. You that know? is a 50-50. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I have no idea, honestly, um, and I don't really care. I just hope that it's as ugly and as embarrassing as possible as they fight it out. So, <laughs> uh, as we've said, neither think- seems to be yielding. No, not no. But it does seem like it now would be a good time for for Stroll to exit stage left, you know, pick up a sweet shit, still probably seven figure salary to be a reserve driver and start to transition into a leadership position. But get get Drogovic in there. Anybody like literally anybody. That's their that's their third driver. I know. Right. Felipe Drogovic. I think Mm -hmm. that's right. Yeah. So. Time that that is one of the bigger questions of of silly season. Now I I kind of jokingly alluded to the Alpine storyline, but you know unfortunately we didn't get to cover this in in great depth um, as it was in the really most relevant during the Spa weekend. But the French Revolution, top to bottom, clearing house, really as far as I know, with without replacements, certainly not at the moment, but still not as of now for those positions. And so they're, they're sort of leadership at the moment, leaderless at the moment. And now Gasly's finishing on the podium and you just know that nothing has changed on the team. It just, it feels like it seems like other leadership of, of Renault group did not love Rossi in that position and has subsequently sort of pulled the plug on everything he had his hand in. Um, but but Alpine always had a decent car there when it when it crossed the finish line, and it's just ironic to see the the team now scoring points after after clearing house. I guess the question for you is: Does it did it feel like that decision is now a bit premature? And I guess as you extrapolate that from more of a business context, like how do you think about this whole like idea of more like transformational firing versus? that need for stability of vision and continuity. I heard, um, 
uh, I don't remember what podcast it was on, but Adrian Newey was getting interviewed one time, and they asked him to kind of reminisce about, you know, his decision to leave McLaren and come to Red Bull back in like I guess it was twenty, what Red Bull bought Jaguar in 08, so probably twenty two thousand nine or ten maybe. And he, the first thing he mentioned when he was kind of recreating for the audience his decision making process was that. At the time, Red Bull had high continuity of ownership in Dietrich Mateschitz and an owner who basically didn't have, um, he said it in more eloquently, but basically like a non-politicized long-term investment objective in terms of how they viewed success in Formula One. And that was like the first thing he cared about in terms of somebody at his caliber choosing at the top of their game, best car designer that the sport's ever known, choosing what team they want to go to. That is what they care about most, which tells to me Renault's fucked. They have no hope in their current structure of recruiting somebody like Adrian Newey who can transform the three to five year winning potential of their team as a result of the instability. And you can blame it on the kind of corporate instability of Renault as an entity, the way they've got the ownership structure between the racing organization, the commercial organization. I've heard a bunch of different speculation about this, but at the end of the day, the 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 mantra holds true that there are too many layers at Renault that are accountable for deciding who the key people are in F1, but too detached from the sport to know who the best people are and are meddling in essentially lower level activities than they can be helpful in, in, in meddling with. And I think unless Renault changes something fundamental about where they establish accountability and control for their racing team, which they have not, by the way, with these firings. They're just putting going for new heads. Unless they change something about the level that the accountability is established, I don't see anything changing for this team, honestly. So you call it a French Revolution. I don't think this is like Napoleonic-style stuff. This is like developed nation is descending into a banana republic type stuff. Uh, so I... I it, I am. I have never been more pessimistic about the prospects for Alpine, and that is saying something because I've never been optimistic. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and it just seems. I mean, Otmar had what, like a year and a half there, and I mean, by the time he came in, he didn't have any influence on the car that they had last year. So, I mean, it's almost like he was. He should have been gone after the whole driver debacle. Like, to be honest. Right. And they should have known that at that point that he wasn't the guy for that position. But I mean, yeah, they just seem kind of rudderless. And if you take his explanation at face value, the fact that they're not really aligned on the time frame, the goals, like to your point, you can't have a stable infrastructure. I mean, and Otmar's point was, I'm sure you got to bring in people. You can't bring in people overnight. And they, you certainly can't bring them in if they're going to be usurped immediately after and they don't have that degree of stability. And so, yeah, I don't know how you create that sense of a strong foundation now after, what, kind of three years in a row of, of, of chaos, certainly two. So, yeah, I, I mean, at a certain point, you you have to commit to a longer term project, and it seems like that was what was Otmar was expecting. And then it almost felt like sort of that PE approach, where oh well, you didn't hit certain metrics in your first year, even though we said this was a five year thing. 
and a lot of the foundation building is not where you see the significant yields that's in year three through five. It, it was reminiscent of uh, how, you know, Yost Capito's tenure at Williams. It made me feel like almost that I should question whether Otmar was viewed as the permanent solution or just kind of the substitute teacher. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm starting to believe he was more the latter. I feel like it's just a broader, like, court, like a, a lack of confidence in the certain leaders at the company. And that created a more wholesale dynamic versus it seemed like maybe Doralton coming in was like, all right, well, let's just get our feet under us. Like, let's see what's what, like we already said, like, let's get a good cultural play here and we'll chart. They had the a vision term. at least. Yeah. They said, yeah. let's at least make sure we, we get our vision in place and yeah. then we'll get the right people to support that. Whereas Alpine never There's seems no like they had that. They were chasing their tail. They were clearly yeah. not aligned at the highest point. And I just, I think it's telling when you see what position Rossi got, which was like, what was it? It was like a generic, like he's going to work on uh transformation projects. You know, it's just some generic, like he's going to be put in a corner somewhere and do something not this. Uh, like they didn't even have a plan for him. It was just, we need him out of here. Um, and so hopefully either with the corporate, the people that they have today or whoever they plan to bring in, I mean, that needs to be the first, the first step is what is their actual strategy here? I am so strong in my belief that if you want to change the prospects of a bottom feeding F1 team, you need two primary things, money, which is obvious. And two is a small number of people in charge at the very top who have control to make decisions. And so if you ask me like what's Red Bull's greatest existential threat to basically not continue on this path of success, it's if Dietrich Mattershitz's son decides he doesn't like F1 as much as Dietrich Mattershitz did, you know, like, and fundamentally changes the scope and ability that Horner and Marco have to influence decisions and drive the team forward strategically. Cause right now, they're really qualified and they have all the control and they have the ability to execute on it quickly. And like, that's just the antithesis of what Alpine has. And well, and, and, and Alpine slash Renault is interesting too, because throughout the course of this, you know, an interesting note that came up was right. This whole team was rebranded to support the growth of the Alpine brand, but Alpine hasn't even released a new model vehicle since like 2019. So there's just not even alignment of, we're, we're having this branding arm, but we're not releasing the product which this brand campaign is supposed to support. So why the hell are you even coining it Alpine? Why are you even going in that direction? So, I mean, even as you look through like their commercial divisions, it, it doesn't seem like there's alignment on what are they doing and why. So it, it's a bit of a mess up, up and down. Uh, there's a lot of other OEMs that I'd rather have that spot on the grid, if I'm totally honest, because I just don't think Renault is doing anything with it. And I have zero confidence in their ability to change that. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if it no longer supports Alpine. Do they revert it back to the Renault brand? Is it, if they're not really doing much in the Alpine space anyway? Yeah, but that's just window the, dressing. What difference is that going to make to the actual? No, no, I understand. But if they had it to like, are they, does that really do much for like the Renault brand? I mean, I think they saw there was more value in a high performance team supporting a high performance brand but yeah i mean do they revert it back to reno do they move out overall like is that a team that you see on the chopping block at all or are they pretty far down that list of acquisition targets if you were if you were um, in the market 
I would say they're pretty far down the list because there seems to be. I mean, they've just got outside investment, and the whole Ryan Reynolds thing was really public. And then um, you think this was Michael B. Jordan coming in and saying "fuck you, Otmar"? <laughs> just didn't like that uh, man from the beginning. Yeah, with his one percent stake, I'm sure he had a vote at that that shareholder meeting. Uh, I I don't know, man. I. I think there's probably enough people within Renault that care enough about the history and legacy of that team that they wouldn't just dismiss it out of hand. And I couldn't see a team like Renault getting tendered before a team like Haas. I mean, that, that would be a tough argument to make. But, like, they're not the safest team on the grid. Uh, so, you know. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see once they start making decisions and on their leadership team. Um, well, aside from Alpine fuckery, um, you know what time it is time to go for Ferrari and, um, and look while, while we have criticized the team significantly and there was a bit of, uh, questionable movement in the pits for Leclerc. I mean, look as the season as a whole, it seems to be the drivers hurting themselves more this season with, you know, signs in Spa running into Piastri and ending that race. And now Leclerc both in, um, right, in qualifying, in the race, you know, now hurting his chance with like parts allocation. So I think um, like where do you stack up in terms of Ferrari this weekend versus Ferrari drivers? Yes, it is the drivers, but also it's the drivers operating in a system where the team has allowed the drivers enough autonomy so the drivers can hurt themselves in this way. So I think it's still both. Like, it's shared blame. I Yeah, sure. I think Leclerc comes into the pits abruptly, catches the team off guard, and then that kind of starts the snowball of, like, really bad kind of errors that just took him ultimately out of the race. Um I, I do have a little bit of sympathy for him, though, in the because what he have a racing incident with Lando where he got his floor damage that basically made him have no pace. Yeah, I don't know that that was floor. entirely. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't like his. You look at the onboard from that; it was kind of bang bang. Like I don't think he was really doing anything egregious. And like, shit, man, in a wet weather race, I'm kind of surprised we didn't see worse collisions than we did. It was, I think it was Coulthard that made the comment after the first lap of the race. Where he was like, I cannot believe no one's come together, like. It was kind of a clean race considering all of the external elements. Um, but I, I don't know. I think you're being a little bit unfair to Charlotte Claire uh, in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously I have no confidence in Ferrari to improve. So <laughs> got to balance those things. Well, and once again, we we have this situation where while Leclerc is the golden boy at Ferrari and, and presumed contract renewal, right? Where signs, and yet I believe signs is now leading in the points, right? So here yeah, again, he is signs quietly beating his teammate, who is highly esteemed and and seen as one of the top tiers on the grid. And honestly, signs getting no no respect really. And so he goes about his business. He's not as flashy and qualifying, right? He doesn't have that pinnacle pace, but he manages a race well and he's taking control. I will say the one thing I'd like to see from Leclerc was he was a little bit fiery towards his team during qualifying and talking about sort of the, the tire prep process. And I think they were trying to focus on some other stuff. And he was like, dude, we just need to get the fucking tires warmed up. And like, that's the only thing. And so he was a little bit more aggressive, which look, I mean, if a man, if, if anybody has leverage on a team, maybe other than Max and Lewis, it's Leclerc. 
at Ferrari. And so finally he's like putting his foot down a little bit, but then to your point, is that really his role? Did that lead to the most conducive pit stop? No, arguably no. And again, I think it's just a great foil to the seemingly combative relationship you saw, right? Between Max and GP and Spa where, you know, GP's kind of having to discipline Max real time. Whereas, you know, Ferrari is still not forceful enough from their side, but at least, at least Leclerc's bringing the intensity. So credit to, I mean, I guess every man has a breaking point and he finally, he finally reached his. So, I mean, good for him from that standpoint. I did love that radio message and qualifying you're referencing where he was just like, guys, I know you don't have the capacity to focus on more than one thing at once. So I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> tire warm up is all that matters and stop talking to me about everything else. Signs had a moment during the race where he was like, he literally just came on. He was like, less radio. <laughs> like, that's all he said. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. Like, these guys are totally done with the pit wall. Like, they have no, like, they're not here for it at all, which is like, it's hilarious. Um, I'm just surprised it took that, kind of, took that long, honestly. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I don't think this is a likely scenario, but let's play out the hypothetical that Signs actually does outperform Leclerc on a relative basis and even more obvious of a way throughout the remainder of the season. How quickly does Leclerc get scooped up by anyone else? If that's if Ferrari basically has shifted their most favored nation status to Signs by the end of the year, I mean, there is no way Perez is holding on to that seat if Leclerc is is on the market at the end of the season. Well, unlikely, and, but Well, and that's just where it's shocking to me because it's like Ferrari does not seem overly eager to like sign him quickly and then it's like, well if he does, where does Leclerc go? It's like, dude, what about signs? Like he's still leading. He's still on par. Like what else does the man have to do to be in the conversation to the same degree that that everyone else is? It's just What it's what crazy. is it about him that makes him undervalued? Because he look, he's handsome, he's oh, articulate, he's a branding. He's a gold. He's a brand ambassador, just gifted from God on a <laughs> silver platter. For you know, like, what is it about him that makes people overlook him? I'm not sure I've ever quite fully understood it. It to me, it just seems like he he doesn't have, he doesn't have the that that true like peak limit that other drivers, right? So he doesn't, he doesn't make the splash in, in qualifying. He doesn't have these like stellar standout battles. A lot of times in races, he's just, he's right there at that 95% and he delivers pretty consistently, but he, he flies under the radar a little bit, but beyond that, I, I don't know. It's, it's a bit, it's a bit inexplicable. I don't know. Is he a couple of years older? And so he doesn't necessarily like fall within that same, like really youthful cadre that's so highly talked about of Russell and Norris and, and Leclerc, but I mean, he's what a couple of years older. Like that seems crazy to me too. Absolutely. Nothing pisses me off more than hearing people try and make the argument, especially after Monaco that Esteban Ocon is the most underrated driver on the grid. When you've got Carlos signs out there that. I remember hearing that. You remember that week? What was it? The week that Ocon podiumed this year? I, I can't remember. Was it was it Monaco? I think it was Monaco. I, it's, I'm not surprised that you you didn't note that um, note that at all. What a crazy argument! I mean, where was Ocon this weekend? Nowhere. I mean, Gasly, absolutely. Gasly nowhere. has gotten his feet under him now, and he's starting to he's starting to gap Ocon like pretty pretty consistent. I mean, this one was 
an obviously like extreme example with kind of how things worked out for, for Gasly in the race. But I mean, yeah, Ocon has, has definitely seemed to be, um, what's the word wilting a little bit under, under now sort of Gasly getting his feet under him. So yeah, that seems even crazier. And, but I do think that's exacerbated by the fact that as all these contract talks come up, nobody talks about signs. And so it's almost like they're going in opposite direction where Ocon's fallen a little bit and it's just becoming more and more clear, you know, now that signs pulls back ahead of the hot topic that he's, he's not regarded in the same way. So yeah, it'd be really interesting to see if, I mean, they're probably going to sign Leclerc. And so do they bring back signs? I mean, you almost have to, right? If he outperforms Leclerc, could you really go another route at that point? You kind of look stupid, right? Yeah, you would definitely look stupid. But I mean, this would be the hardly <laughs> the first time we've accused Ferrari of looking it's, it's, stupid. So. Some brand, I guess. Uh, yeah, it kind of fits the bill. I, I mean, I guess the kind of argument would be maybe signs leverages Ferrari against another team who wants to make him the lead guy in a very clear and obvious way, like the future Audi, you know? I mean, that's team. like word on the street, right? As right. He's angling and for so that then, team. Right. And so then it's like, all right, so maybe Ferrari's going to decide they don't, they can't afford to compete and try and pay him like a number one driver, like that future Audi team may want to. And so, yeah, they can't hold on to him. I don't, I don't know, but yes, apart from extenuating circumstances, uh, yeah, they're stupid to let him go, uh, for sure. All right, so who's your pick? Those two through the end of the season, who who comes out on top, Signs or Leclerc? Oh, God, what's the current? Where are they? One hundred two to ninety nine, three points difference to Signs. God, that is a tough question. We should have done more analysis here of like historical performance on the the remaining tracks, but. Um, Let's well, we're um, none of that shit. Well, you got Singapore, Japan, Circuit of the Americas, Mexico, Abu, Abu Dhabi, Dhabi, Vegas, Vegas. So it is a, it is kind of street heavy in the back half, but I don't know if it's more so than it was in the first half. So no, definitely not. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm gonna say Leclerc, but just, just barely, like. I'm going signs. The man, yeah, I respect the that. man has the consistency and, and that, yeah. and that pays over the course of the season. I, I, for whatever reason, I just have a lot of skepticism in the Claire and he's too, mis- he's too error prone, you know, and they're unforced errors. A lot of times, whereas signs to me makes errors like spa was arguably an error, but that's also a turn one incident. Right. Whereas Leclerc and qualifying, I mean, he's the one that slipped wide on the turn in the race and broke his end plate. So if it, it just feels more unforced and, and owned by Leclerc versus the mistakes that that signs makes at times. So maybe that's just my bias. I have a Spanish, you know, I have a, a Latin bias myself. So, uh, uh yeah, yes, uh, <laughs> I guess it goes, I, for La- great- I guess it goes for Latinos as well as Latinas. So, uh, you know, you learn, learn something about yourself every day. I don't have a good counter-argument for you. I think that's a very well-made point, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's signs at the end of the year. All right. Well, man, we got a lot of a lot of 50-50 balls here to watch through the end of the year. Everything except except Red Bull and and uh, Max versus <laughs> Perez. So that one's pretty much well well settled. Um, so we've covered off Ferrari. I think we got to talk now about, about uh, Mercedes. So, I mean, kind of a 
a wild weekends up and down the grid, but Mer- none more so it, it seems than than Mercedes themselves. I mean, between the total inflection of Hamilton struggling and qualifying, whether you chalk it up to impeding or not. Interestingly, Sonoda got an impeding penalty for Hamilton, and Hamilton later saying ah, it wasn't Sonoda that that caused that. Meanwhile, Russell qualifying well, but the decision to stay out for both of them hurt the kind of odd strategy to pit after like five laps on softs to go to hards and then the, the late race puncture. So, I mean, what was your, what was your takeaway from Mercedes overall, the relative team performance, and then between drivers, how, how is that battle shaking out in your mind? Did when's the last time that Lewis Hamilton did something dumb on a Sunday? It doesn't seem like ever. I, I, I think he's honestly a couple a bit of times where maybe he drifts wide in a corner, but even then, then he's saving it by like going right on into the wall or saving it through the gravel. He, he makes it impressive even in the small instances where he does make a mistake, but something dumb. Yeah. Not at all. I'm, I mean, the one I would maybe even half heartedly propose is him hitting wheels with Max going into cops and Silverstone in 2021 and sending max into the wall but i, I don't that's even a know risk. If I, would care. I mean that's a risk accept decision and yeah. hell of a good inside pass that it, max didn't cover off so i mean i would say no on those agreed so it's like well yeah i mean it, the level of just sunday race performance consistency from him i don't really think is even being fully appreciated um and it has nothing to do with him and everything to do with the fact that you know max is as far ahead as he is and mercedes is where they are but Man, he he's asserting himself against Russell in a way that is I almost feel foolish for kind of forgetting who he was for a moment. Like you were a big, you were a big Russell homer uh, there for a yeah, minute. Yeah. No, you're right. And and I'm and I'm gonna here remind to accept you of that. that every weekend. <laughs> Look, yeah, I'm here to accept that. And just yeah, sure. Was I guilty of probably undervaluing Hamilton's performance uh and overhyping Russell? Sure. And man, am I wrong. Uh, again, it's that over the long, it's over the long term, dude. I mean, that's moment over the long haul. So, but wait, what do you chalk it it up to? I mean, do you, because a lot of last season we was reported and we kind of bought into the idea of Hamilton struggling because he's helping develop the car. He's being, he's bearing that burden of kind of testing whatever experimental things Mercedes was trying to get back on track. Whereas Russell had more of the kind of the stable platform, but what is it this year? Is it just the fact that now they're both kind of on, on equal footing? Do you think Russell has slipped at all? You think Hamilton is more motivated after some of the criticisms last year? I mean, how do you, how would you kind of play up the dynamic between them? I, I mean, I think it's, I think he's the goat dude. Like he's just be doing goat things. And it's like George Russell can be really, really good. And he is, but he's not the goat. Like I do think so it had an element of I, Hamilton probably still getting used to high performing vehicles. And when Mercedes really struggled, Russell's coming from a shit box. And so he's like, Oh, I, you know, I know how to, I know how to handle this. But yeah, as that car has returned to form, Hamilton has gotten more comfortable and he's, he's able to get that, that last little bit of performance that at a, at a incredibly consistent way. That moment that, and I think it was in the, the maybe the third stint of the race, roughly before the final rain shower had come in. Remember that moment that we saw from Hamilton's onboard where he came up behind Russell before they kind of did the the switching of the cars, 
and almost his presence alone almost calls Russell to like he put the tire on the grass on the left and like the save was impressive, but like literally looked like he had shit his pants inside the cockpit. Like thinking about the fact that Lewis was behind him. And that to me that to me was like a microcosm of the season, like in a five second clip. It's just like, here's a guy, yes, he's on different tire strategy, but cruising up behind you, calm and collected. And as soon as he gets on your rear tires, like you're you're about to put yourself out of the race. It's like, damn. Like Well, and I think um the other thing that that strikes me about Russell and I've criticized him for is is it seems like he needs more media training as well, right? Because I just think the subtlety in his and how he he spoke on the radio, right? When Hamilton struggles, he talks about the car's not good, we need to keep working, we need to do this differently. Whereas as Russell fell back, the wording that he used was, I was, what I was projected for a podium. How did we get this so wrong? And it just felt like there was a little bit more like me versus you dynamic. Whereas with Hamilton, it it, it just, even in the worst of moments kind of has like a shared misery sense. And so I, I feel like that's just another mark where from a, from a team leadership perspective, Hamilton shows that grace and that maturity uh, as well. So I, just another, I guess, credit to to Hamilton. Yeah, I think that's. I'm not as harsh on Russell from a PR standpoint as you are, but um, I I see your point. I'm also the guy who like claps at all of like Max's like, ridiculousness. <laughs> a little bit of a. a You're bit extremely of a- <laughs> inconsistent in your interpretation of people's character based on team radio. <laughs> That well, is for sure. In my general life experiences haven't proven that <laughs> even more so. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. I, I could I could work on that area a little bit. All right, last point. We haven't really talked about this. We got to hit on some some Red Bull drama. Perez start of the race, making a great call to go to Inters, putting himself in the lead. Back to softs. Max getting preferential treatment, although he, despite not being leader of the race, and a little bit of questions of. You know, is is Red Bull making the right decision? Are they treating their drivers fairly, um, or are they showing Max a lot of preferential treatment? What would you say? Uh, no, they are not treating their drivers fairly, uh, and I would say, who cares? S- second, <laughs> second. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. At what point do you not yeah. give a shit about that? And it's like we have a dude who's chasing records, and you're not. And oh, by the way, you're still not qualifying well. You're still crashing in the race. So how many seconds did he take out of Perez on those enters in that second stint? Because when because when Max came out of the pits, he was what, 12 seconds off the lead? Like after the race had kind of reset after the first rain shower? Multiple seconds a lap. He was pulling out literally like two to three seconds a lap. Like how can you as a team see that in – rationalize prioritizing Perez for track position. No, no, no rational team would ever do that. I'm all for it in like a Ferrari situation. Like I think that's bullshit. How signs is leading in points now and every race Leclerc's given pressure, preferential treatment, even when the current tire strategy says signs should be let by. But at this point for Red Bull, I mean, Max has every green light at this point and he should. I I'm going to make a I'm going to bit of a, a project forward kind of what I think Perez's prospects are for the rest of the season and into next year. 
I think that we know what we need to know. We know what we're going to know about him. I think this is the Perez-Max dynamic that's going to be largely existent for the rest of the season. And so the question of whether he gets his seat next year or not, even though he's under contract, we know those contracts are just, they're just contracts. Yeah. Whether he keeps his seat next year or not is going to be totally based upon two things. One, how strongly Red Bull feels that they need a better second driver to win the constructors next year, which I think will largely be based on how much teams close the gap between now and the last race. In other words, if McLaren is nipping on Max's heels by the end of the year, I think Red Bull is much more likely to replace Perez versus if the grid stays where it is now. And then the second is if there's a better alternative, i.e. like a Daniel Ricciardo and another wild card that kind of inserts themselves. I don't think Perez's chances of holding on to his seat have anything to do with him from this point forward, honestly. I would largely agree, except for the fact that him dominating his competitors as well kind of it reinforces the perception that the car overall continues to be sufficiently dominant to accommodate his, you know, occasional regular lack of performance to Max, right? So I think he could help him in in that regard. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I think you're right. It's how how confident are they <clears throat> and where and who's who comes up. But I think that's his, his best advantage at this point because it, unfortunately, I don't think Sonoda regardless of whether he beats Ricardo or Lawson or whoever, I don't think he gets that Red Bull seat no matter what. And I don't see any of the other top drivers. There's been a lot of talk of like Norris eventually. I just, I find it, I, if I were Norris, as we've said, I wouldn't want to go to that team. If if he's my good friend, probably don't want to go to that team either. And so that's where you have to look at, at somebody else like does Albon go back there or, or who else would fill in that seat, right? Does signs go back there? That doesn't seem likely either, but you know, we'll, we'll see like who, who takes that spot. And that's where I think Piastri is the one who short contract opportunistic Weber relationship. I don't know that he's like Max's buddy and he's fucking hungry and, you know, has a high degree of self-confidence. And so if he's if he's out here battling with with Norris consistently, why wouldn't you take the flyer and yeah, and go to Red risk, Bull? The risk is that you hit too well on Piastri, and you risk upsetting the Max dynamic to a detrimental, unrepairable extent, which is real. Like if you bring dude, somebody, if you in got that somebody legitimate- that is another Max. I mean, is that really your worst problem? I mean, given how volatile the Max camp seems to be about him relatively dominating always in all things, I don't think it's a zero risk. Like, I don't know, man. I think think it's a risk that Piastri has been shown that he's willing to, he's been, he's shown he's willing to ruffle a few feathers and yes, disrupting the enduring like team dynamic and kind of coming in his house. But honestly, you'd have to question too, if this dude goes on the run that kind of a lot of people think he is, wouldn't you want to like position yourself to have a couple of years there with him? And if he chooses to go on to bigger and better things, like do you play the long game in that situation? Again, assuming Piastri is on par with Verstappen, which again, that 
he's outperformed the expectations we had at the for him at the start of the season, but it's still a tall task. So long-term could be the right move if he can kind of weather the Verstappen family storm. I think that if you're Red Bull right now, the way you have to view Max Verstappen is if you have Aaron Rodgers at 26, age 26, on your roster, i.e. when he's 28, you probably shouldn't go draft Jordan Love. Like, But if he was I, I 26 talking about, I'm going to retire every year? Yeah, but dude, okay. yeah, but Yes, talking, but that's just, that's just it. It's just talk. Like, So you have to choose how much stock you choose to put in those statements, and I choose to put very little. So... And I would imagine Horner has better information than those public comments. So I, because he's seen the contracts, he knows, you know. But I, my, here's my, and you're going to roll your eyes. My conspiracy theory about Red Bull's strategy is uh, Horner in particular has a belief, I think, that the driving style of Max is more similar to what he believes the kind of car is that Daniel Ricciardo would succeed. I know, and Ricciardo will do better than, in the Red Bull, but fucking A, you can't even race two races in a Alfa Tori. Okay, yeah, but that has nothing to do with him. Don't go there. Don't don't, don't get me riled up. The man is I, not cutthroat enough. He should have T-boned his, Austra- his countrymen and sacrificed his countrymen for his own career and success. He wasn't willing to do that. He doesn't have the fighting spirit, so he doesn't deserve to drive in a Red Bull again. I rest my case. I don't even remember what I was saying. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Heard, Chef. Yeah, heard. I don't know. (laughs) Um... You know what I mean. But yes, you think I, Ricardo, they have confidence in him, and if he can just get his feet under him in an Alphatari, show yeah, some well, stability, I mean, then he'll be the even better in the to Red my, Bull. I get it. To my previously mentioned points about the risks of going after somebody like Piastri, now they're in a situation where if Ricardo did get the second Red get the second Red Bull seat, he himself would very much view it as a second driver position. And you could see him performing well, but within a context that he's not actually, he doesn't view himself actually as a threat to Max, nor does Max view him as a threat to himself. Who, Ricardo? So, Accepting yes. that second so, seat versus so Piastri, who has has those higher aspirations still? Correct. So I think if what Red Bull ultimately wants to solve for is this equilibrium between somebody who can be much closer to Max than Checo is, but ultimately not a threat to him, Ricardo is a safer bet currently. Somebody like Ricardo than Piastri. That's my point. And crazy enough, you'd go with Ricardo over Perez. I don't know. I, don't, I need more information. And that's to me where I, if, if, if Ricardo is not the answer, he hasn't shown that he is at least so far. He has the rest of the year. So, so be on it. That, but he has on not that, shown you are it. Correct. And so if there yeah. is not an alternative, the likes of Piastri, I think Perez keeps his seat. Agreed. I believe that that is the base case outcome that is most likely. But I I think beyond that, Ricardo getting the seat is more likely than Piastri getting the seat. And I think Albon is more likely than Piastri getting the seat. Now that one I would entertain. I would think Red Bull is nuts to take Ricardo over Piastri, especially unproven outside of whatever we whisper of simulator times and a tire test. But I mean, Albon, if you want 
proven entity at this moment, but he's also said he's not overly eager to go back there there either. So that's where you have both the availability and the and the desire of other drivers. And that's where Piastri sits in that sweet spot where I think Albon, I think he's feeling pretty good and he's willing to ride this Williams roller coaster for longer than, you know, a decision needs to be made about Checo. And you know what? I think that is the absolute 100% best answer for him, for Albon. Um, and, and, and honestly, if he came back to Red Bull, next year hypothetically and he was in the exact same place relative to max he was the last time he was there i mean that would be case closed on the argument about the value of driving style on driver performance because you could never convince me that red bull wasn't developing that car for max in a highly extreme way after that and that they shouldn't be fully focused on just finding a driver driver who stylistically is like max like so, yeah. Well, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see, but I mean, we got to see. You're still on this fucking Ricardo bandwagon, which is inexplicable. So we'll have to. Look. I don't know if it's, it's not, not inexplicable, but it's your it, love it, affair it, with Lance Stroll for the first be- half of the goddamn season. <laughs> well, that was God. just for the comedic effect. You know, we're building. Well, a what through- do you think I'm doing? We over were here, building Gerald? a through line, <laughs> trying to create content. Well, trying to <laughs> stitch a story together. Clicks. God dang! <laughs> gotta be provocative. <laughs> Media 101. <laughs> oh man. Well, somebody's what was, got it. What's the You know what you just made me think of is that the sales pitch uh in that movie uh Step Brothers where they're they're doing the they're <laughs> They're, they're pitching like the media company. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Bo- like boats and hose. <laughs> <laughs> so is Ricardo your boats and hose moment? <laughs> yeah, in a way, I could. Yeah. Well, he's uh, he's yeah. doing the crashing for you, so it seems fitting. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that brings us to a to a close this weekend. I mean, in in our customary fashion. I mean, I think I know who I have for my DNF of the week. But um, but how about you? There's there's plenty of options this week. To be <laughs> I was gonna say uh, DNF of the week. DNF of the week. I haven't put any thought in this advance. Why don't you go first? Who's your DNF? Uh, DNF of the week is, I mean, obviously Ricardo. Uh, I mean, what, what What? DNF of the week? The man didn't even race. So I mean, shit, at least, at least people, other people started the race. I mean, God damn, this can't, this can't even be a bit anymore. How are you like so aggressively overlooking like the reason for the crash? I don't understand. Are there not lights on the track that say there's a yellow flag? If Max had been the guy behind Piastri and had injured in his, his hand, and this had been the reason why his streak had been ruined, you would have already sent Piastri a bomb in the mail. And you fucking know it. You, you know it. There would be. <coughs> anyway. But that's a lot of hypotheticals because Max wouldn't be the one to crash behind Piastri, and he wouldn't be the one to break his wrist. That so is it's a moot such point. An- that is such an ignorant statement. Anybody could have been that unlucky. Come on, man. Just I give mean, me a break. How many times a bad luck? He didn't do you break his hand up? wrestling dingoes in Perth over the summer or break. Fucking like mountain biking. <laughs> like fucking three yeah. weeks before the season starts. Some <laughs> yeah. what idiot would do that? <laughs> yeah. I love how they were like commiserating after the fact. You know, like you were saying, strolls like giving him his doctor's number and you know. 
telling him how the stem cells it's are like going to feel group. as they course through his <laughs> spinal cord. Um, yeah, it's like a. I wonder if he gave him a blood transfusion too. Maybe <laughs> donated. But also, some what, I mean, is that the new low of Ricardo's career? Of like, fuck. Now I'm like having to call I'm like a parallel to stroll. Like, damn it. <laughs> That's uh, he, that's what that's all I'm saying. I guess is the man is not hitting new highs. He is he is finding new lows, and that is not what you want to see. So yes, well, he is on my Gerald. Yeah. Um, as is often said, the dawn is. I'm sorry, ah, I fucked it up. The night is darkest <laughs> before the dawn. Dang it! I was trying to invoke the dark night, and I fucking muffed the punch. Right, Harvey God Dent. Dang it! <laughs> Shoot. I can't edit that out either. God dang it. All right. Well, um, I also got to say, and I don't know if you're about to transition there, and I apologize if you are, and I'm stepping on your toes. I'm really happy to not speak about Monza at all. Uh, I'm just happy to not be in Italy right now uh, preparing to go to that race. You having flashbacks? Uh, I may not be able to watch it, honestly. I might start, like, hemorrhaging <laughs> when the intro song starts playing. So, uh, yeah, just happy not to be there. I'm sure it will be improved none at all relative to last year and that they've totally oversold it. And uh, my only wish is Godspeed to everyone in attendance. I hope it doesn't rain. Well, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody from work about their trip to to Italy and, and they had talked about going to Lake Como. And while I wanted to like be in the moment with them and like how beautiful Lake Como is and all of this stuff, all I had was you're just ranting in the back of my head about how shit Monza is. And I felt so compelled to like, shatter this person's perception of the italian you know the italian countryside um so can, you can you believe uh, you've burned that, that almost, into my memory as well can you believe that was that was almost a year ago now no this year has been the i mean Isn't i can't believe be- i've been here almost a year so i know it's, Isn't that nuts man i mean you moved what last october yeah so that's we're crazy there, dude. yeah it felt yeah. it feels like three months ago but that's nuts. Alas, lot, and a lot's changed for me. Nothing's yeah. changed. You, your whole life has evolved, oh, and boy, me has here changed I am for just, you. I'm just sputtering along in my stagnation. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm like Alpine, and meanwhile, you're like Red Bull, rocketing on to bigger and better things. You're clinging to superficial life events like getting a new car for your fulfillment. Exactly. I'm, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I have nothing of substance to show, but just a little bit of a, a light rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Over no, here in the no, Harris no, no. household, we're, we're for substantive change from the top down. Yes. Yeah. I, I am yeah. surface level only. I'm still the same <laughs> sort of hollow, shallow piece of shit. Um, Anywho, who do you have on your personal podium for this week? <laughs> Before I cry myself to sleep. Uh, Max for tying the record. That just kind of can't ever can't overlook that. Got to do it. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to throw one out for a YouTube channel that I've recently developed an affinity for. Because this guy, he's been putting out some great content. I think he deserves to be on a podium. Kim Illman. K-Y-M, so different spelling on Kim, Illman, I-L-L-M-A-N, is an Australian historically photographer in F1 who has since expanded his content universe into a series of weekly YouTube videos. And some of them are like very celebrity gossip oriented, like what were the driver's girlfriends wearing on the grid and which ones did I spot this week? And like, I'm not here for that bullshit. But he also does 
travel videos and talks about the track and the stuff that he catches behind the scenes, the conversations he has with drivers. And um, he had a pretty informative piece on the Daniel Ricardo injury this weekend, which I thought was particularly helpful. So Kim Illman, he, he's, he's pulling out novel behind the scenes nuggets that you aren't getting from Sky Sports. And if you can filter through the stuff that feels a little TMZ-esque, there's some nice stuff in there. So I'm going to give him my, my last two spots on the podium. This he's, he's doing the real journalism. He's just got to, He's got to spice yeah. it up for the, you know, the the, the layman audience, but he's, he's he's bringing out the gold there. And he's incredibly pretentious and flies first class almost everywhere he goes on the calendar. And occasionally he'll do, like, reviews of the lay-flat seats on Qatar Airways. And I'm like, great, man. Like, I would love to know what that's like. I'll never be able to afford that. You know, so it's like, it's good stuff. I mean, that's where we got to revisit this whole LLC thing, is if we can just expense, um, expense, F1 trips in our non-revenue generating business. I mean, boom, right off. Matt Gallagher and Tom Bellingham's clown ass has got an all expenses paid trip to Monaco. So if they can do it, I'm sure we could figure it out. All right. So Kim Illman. Nice. Nice. Any others on uh, top of the scoreboard? I mean, I got to go. I got to go Lawson with credit to Lawson. And then I got to follow the rest of the podium. I mean, Alonzo, bringing Aston back to the front after much doubt of had they fallen off. And then Gasly showing up finally, getting some big points on the podium and giving himself a real shot to, I mean, he's already, what is he, tied? Or he's already surpassed Ocon? But a very real shot to blow by Stroll, which is something that at this point the sport should be collectively championing. So I'm I'm excited for that. Beautiful. All right, man. Well, with that, should we call it? And we'll uh, we'll see you on post Monza, where you have the pleasure of sitting at home and not attending um, the nightmarish race. So fortunate for you. I'm looking forward to. It. I'm gonna I'm gonna go slam this second Popeye's chicken sandwich I've been smelling the entire recording Ooh-wee. session. So we get it. I'm pretty pretty pumped. Pretty pumped. Enjoy. All right. Peace. Peace.